Turn to Acts chapter 3. Two places in the Bible. Ready for this? Acts chapter 3 and Psalm 51. Acts chapter 3 and Psalm 51. We're going to go to Acts first and then we'll get to Psalm a little bit later. But be ready. Psalm 51 is where we're going to head. Josh already said it, but this Wednesday night we have a prayer night. I said, this Wednesday night we have a prayer night. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. It's going to be a powerful night of prayer. And I just really want to encourage you to get there, to be there. What, what else? Do, if, listen, if you have a job working and you can't, I understand that. If you've got something, I understand that. But if you're just sitting at home watching TV, YouTube, just sitting around, can I just encourage you? Come. Make this a priority. Put it at the same level of priority as if your kid had a soccer game. Let me just ask, if your kid had a soccer game at 7 o'clock to 8.15, would you get him there? Come on. Let's make it that kind of a priority. Let's make it a priority that you have a doctor's appointment and you can't miss it. It's 7 o'clock with Dr. Jesus. Let's come together. We have had, the, our last prayer night was maybe one of my favorites. I say that about every one of them, but this last one was just powerful. Singing, worshiping, praying, singing, worshiping, praying. We need, this isn't just hyping it up. I, this, this community needs you here. Wednesday night. This community of believers and this community outside of these four walls needs you to be here to intercede and let's pray because prayer is the catalyst from where all powerful ministry gets, gets rolling and gets started. So thank you ahead of time for making this Wednesday night a priority and uh, it's going to be a great night. So I don't know if you, you uh, heard uh, the story about a, a dude who was a, he was an exterior painter. His name is Ralph. Ralph was known for his exterior house and barn painting skills, lived in a small town, and the Baptist church needed a, a good painting, and, and so uh, he put in his bid, and sure enough, they chose him. He was the low bid. Okay. Now, the thing about Ralph, though, is he was a man who liked to stretch things out, and so um, every five gallon of paint, he would add, some of you already know this, okay, and so what, what he would do is, is he, would, he would add some um, uh, some uh, turpentine to each gallon of paint, and so it would stretch it a little bit, a little bit further. The paint would go a little further, and and so he he did this with all of his paint. And Ralph, he was out there in the Baptist church. He was painting away, painting away, and as no sooner did he get almost done, when it was like it was like lightning, thunder, crack, and the skies just opened up, and the rain started pouring down, and every bit of that thinned out paint came came just dripping off of that building. And at first he was like, oh, I'm so upset, whatever. And then he realized, no, this is a definite sign from God. He's like, I, I, I know. And even as he was up on the scaffolding, painting that last bit, that crack of lightning scared him and shocked him. And he actually fell down on, amidst the cemetery plots of, of all those Baptists that have gone on before. And Ralph, Ralph, finally, he came to his senses and he said, oh, God, I know you hear me up there. What should I do? And as the clouds kind of spread apart, a voice said, repaint, repaint, and thin no more. <laughs> That's one of my favorite jokes. I've said it before to my kids. They don't laugh too much, but... I want to talk today about... <laughs> 
about a very serious subject, and that's repentance. Repentance. And not just repentance the moment you came to Christ, not just like repenting initially of your sins and turning to Christ, but really having a life of repentance where you just, it goes on and on. You just continue. You, you, as when, when, because here's the deal. You and I, let's remember, we still have a sin nature. And so even though we've made that initial repentance, we're sanctified, we're justified, we're saved, we still have a sin nature. And so there's times when we say things, we do things, we think things, that it's sin, and we need to continue to repent. My challenge to you today is this is my heart, is that for, for many of us, there are times when there are, there's sin in our lives, but instead of repenting of it, we just make excuses for it. Or we turn a blind eye to it. Repentance was something that, as, as we study the book of Acts, as, as we look at the book of Acts, it was a, a regular topic. In fact, let's see it. Let's see it. In, in, the, in the back of the seats, um, there, there are notes, but it's just the discussion questions. I didn't have any fill in the blanks, don't have any outline necessarily, but if you'd like to take notes, you're welcome to do that on the back of those notes. Let's see this. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, I've quoted this many times over the past uh, few months, but Peter replied, Acts chapter 2, Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Repent, repent, repent. In Acts chapter 3, Peter was preaching to those who watched and heard of the healing of the lame man. Acts 3.19, look at this. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. This verse exploded in my spirit over the summer as I was studying the book of Acts. Church, I'm going to say it and I want you to hear me. I believe there is a time of refreshing coming to this church. I believe there's a time of refreshing coming to this community and coming to this area. I believe there's another move of God, dare I say revival. I, I believe that there is something stirring, but it's not just going to come. It's going to come out of repentance. What's that say? Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You can sit here and say, well, why isn't, I want the blessing of God on my life and I want the favor of God, I want the blessing of God. Let me tell you where it starts. In humility, in repentance, laying it all out before the Lord, saying, God, just when you think you've repented of it all, do it once more. God, is there anything else? that is going unnoticed in my mind, in my heart, in my spirit, that I need to repent of. It's repentance. We, we want that time of refreshing to come, that, that time of re where it's exciting, where you know, people are getting saved, and the baptismal tank, we, we can't even take it off the stage because every week we need it. Wouldn't that be awesome? Come on, get a picture of that. That the horse trough would stay on the stage, people. Because every single week we have more and more and more people giving their lives to Christ. Is that not why we are here as a church and as individuals? There's times of refreshing, I believe, that are coming. But it's only going to come when we all repent and just have this heart of humility. And out of that repentance it comes. Keep going. Peter and John in Acts chapter 5, after they miraculously been set free from jail, they're standing in the temple courts. God exalted, this is what they said, God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance, repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. Peter rebuking Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter eight. 
Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Peter had explained in in Acts chapter 11 how salvation had come to the Gentiles, causing the apostles and other brothers to rejoice. And when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. In Acts chapter 17, when Paul had arrived in Athens, he was so distressed to see all the idols... He told the men there this. He said, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to what? Repent. In Paul's farewell address to the, the Ephesian church, the church of Ephesus, Acts chapter 20. You know that I've not hesitated to preach to you everything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly and from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 26, and Paul was on trial. He stood before King Agrippa saying, So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and all Judea, and to the Gentiles also. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. That is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. Repentance, repentance, repentance. Okay, Scott, we get it. Repentance is all throughout the book of Acts. What is it? How do you define what repentance is? Well, uh, in the Greek language, here's the word, metanoia. And uh, I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that right, but uh, and I'm, I'm just assuming most of you are not Greek scholars, so let's just read on. It came to mean a significant changing of one's mind. So in the most simplest form, the concept of repentance in the Bible means to change your mind on something. I repent on that. I change my mind. Key word being change. Bible theologian R.C. Sproul, he said this. He makes the point that the idea of biblical repentance also contains the idea of ruing. You ever hear someone say, I rue the day that that ever happened or that I ever did that. There's a ruing. It carries with it not only an intellectual assessment, but also an emotional response. I repent. I change my way of thinking on that. But it's not just intellectual. It's not just up here. It's deep in my heart. I am so sorry for my sin. Remorse. Regret. Sorrow. I've been living this way, but now I've repented and I'm changing not only my thought processes, but I'm allowing it to change my actions. In Acts chapter 26, verse 20, again, that's what we see. The last part. I preach that they should repent, change, turn to God. Don't just turn to something better. Turn to the one that's best, God. I'm going this way. I'm sinning. I'm going to do something better. Well, that's good, but let's make sure we make it all the way to God. Turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. Note, the deeds aren't what save you. The deeds aren't what make you right before God. But if there is a heart of someone who has truly repented of their sins, there will be deeds that follow. Can that be said of my life? Can that be said of your life? The inner change causes an outward change of actions. Now let's just dig a little deeper. 
Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was writing to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And he starts confronting some of what he sees in that church. Paul started this church. He was the guy who God used to get this church off the ground. He'd spent several years with them. And I can understand. He starts hearing words that there's incest going on in the church. There's sexual immorality. There's all kinds of stuff going on. Oh, my goodness. They're mishandling the spiritual gifts and what God meant as a blessing. They're using it as crazy. And so he's confronting all of this in 1 Corinthians. And he just lays it out there. 1 Corinthians, look at it. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral. Well, boys will be boys, Scott. (laughs) Boys have always been, they've always acted that way. Times have changed, Scott. Times of sexual immorality, you know, it's not really what it used to be. And, you know, things are just, yep, it's just going to happen. It's part of life. It's part of, it's sin. And can I just encourage all of us, including me standing on this stage, search your heart, church. Is there a hint of sexual immorality anywhere in your life? And if so, let's repent. Let's change our thought on this. Let's not just turn a blind eye to it, but let's change our thoughts. Nor idolaters. Nor idolaters. Here's a question. What comes before God in your life? What comes before God in your life? In fact, let's make it a little easier. (laughs) When... When, you're, when you don't come to church regularly, what, what's the reason for that? When, when you're not here on a regular Sunday morning, listen, I'm not saying that if, you, if you're not here every single Sunday, you're a heathen sinner. I'm not saying that. <laughs> but I am saying, um, if you're in town, what keeps you from coming and gathering once a week with other believers? What, what is that? Let me just toss this out to you. Perhaps that's an idol. Is it, it's because I enjoy this, whatever this is. There are good things that can become an idol. Again, when we think of an idol, we think of Buddha. We think of something else sitting on a, you know, some kind of a a statue, funny looking figure sitting on a shelf and we worship that idol. Well, sometimes, no, not sometimes, but for us, most of our idols are, are things that are good things, but we just allow them to take the place of God. It could be our kids, we could turn our kids into an idol and pleasing our kids and, and making our kids happy. It could be sports. It could be music. It could be hobbies. It could be all kinds of things. But church, what I'm saying is, is, is what we've got to do, all of us together, is we've got to say, God, we lay it all out there before you. What is, what is an idol in my life? I don't want to be an idolater. Let me just hit the brakes here for a second. The heart of this is not, um, here's the difference. Someone who's headed towards God. I think this was the bad direction before. So let me say, go on here. You guys are bad over here. So let's say we're heading towards God. We've turned, we've repented, we're heading towards God. You know, we're going towards the Lord. We're going towards the Lord. We're going towards godliness and holiness and righteousness. We're saved. We're born again. And then we give in to temptation. Oh! God, forgive me. God, and, and we repent, and we come, and, and, and we're going this direction. Here's, here's the difference. 
as someone who says, I'm going this direction, I'm born again. You know what? I'm a, I'm in, let's say, a, a, and, and they, they suddenly realize they're involved in sexual immorality. Maybe they're, they're, um, they're sleeping with someone who's not their husband or their wife. They're not married. That's sexually immoral. So they're doing it. There's, they're looking at things that they shouldn't be looking at. They're, they're, just, they're involved in sexual immorality. And they just think, I'm just going to, well, I know. Boys will be boys. It's just going to happen. Girls are going to be girls. We're just, and we just keep going like this. That's my concern. Is that for some of us, some of these idols, some of the sexual immorality that ought to be a, a, a hard stop and hard, I got to deal with this. Oh, God, help me. I'm so sorry. I repent of this. It's so wrong. And if I'm going this way, there ought to be more hard stops in our lives where we contemplate, okay, am I, is there another idol in my life? Am I putting other things before God? I got to stop. Not just kind of just say, well, I can keep serving God and still do all this. Idolatry. Adulterers. I think it's, um, that's been around since the Ten Commandments. So if you don't know what that is, obviously you know what that is. Men who practice homosexuality. This isn't the only place where homosexuality is listed in the New Testament as a sin. It is a sin. It's wrong. And um, in our culture, let me just say, I completely understand why you might be tempted in this area. But I want to be very clear that that doesn't mean it's okay. That means it's sin, just like adultery or other sexual immorality. And we need to confront that in our lives in a hard stop. God forgive me, and let's move on, Go at, keep going after Jesus. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards. Listen, if, if your way of relaxing and really disconnecting is just to go get hammered and smashed every Friday or Saturday or whatever that may look like or even in weeknight, whatever, if that's your regular pattern, can I just encourage you, come on. Why are we still dealing with this? Confront that. Hard stop. God, I repent. Help me. I know it's not going to be easy. None of these things are, but with God's strength, he has given us every way to live a life of godliness and holiness. It's, it's in us. The Holy Spirit's in you. If you're born again, he can help you overcome this drunkenness, revelers, people who try to destroy others with words. I like, I, I think of it this way. They rev things up. They rev things up. And, and some of you with your mouth, instead of letting things just die, you're, you've got a lot of time on your hands. And some of you, all joking aside, it's your season of life. You've lived a long life. Great. Can I just warn you, be very careful that you're not one who stirs it up. Who Just let it be. Just Sometimes the best thing to do is don't just zip the lip and throw away the key. I mean, just don't, don't talk. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. Nor swindlers. All these will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you have these things in your life and you just keep going and going and you think, I'm just going to keep serving Lord and, and it's almost like Jesus was just something you just added to your life and all your muck and stuff and here's all my sin, but I want to go to heaven, so I added Jesus. I'm just going to go towards Jesus. God's saying, wait, wait, wait. Hard stop because, listen, there's some stuff you need to deal with. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. I believe that's what God's saying to us today. Just a little further. Galatians chapter 5. When the Apostle Paul, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing to the church of Galatia, he says this again. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, 
impurity, debauchery, idolatry. I'm seeing some same ones here. Listen, sexual immorality isn't anything new to our culture. It's been around since the beginning. Um, Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Once again, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And then look at verse uh, 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions. Those who have put their faith in Christ, have crucified all these passions. And you, in your pursuit of following Christ, it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. There's going to be times when you're going to sin. And so what you can do is just keep going and just kind of write it off. Or no, you stop, you repent, and then you keep going. That's my concern. Are you there? Let me say oh, one more thing because I just skipped over in error, but go back to verse 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Can you do that? And this is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Some of you were adulterers. Some of you were fornicators. Some of you were drunkards. But because Jesus Christ came into your heart and life and set you free from those things, no longer that's not where you're at anymore. And we rejoice in that. So so believer, listen to me. Let's make sure that, that we stay on that path and that we deal with what it is that's in front of us. We repent. We change our thinking on that. It's not just, eh, it's no big deal. No, it's a big deal. That's why Jesus went to the cross, died for us. It's a big deal. Let's grow. We can do this through Christ. We're crucifying that sinful nature. We're not just turning a blind eye. We're crucifying it. You know, salvation is this two-sided coin. It's faith in Christ and it's repentance. It's uh, John three sixteen. Look at that on the screen. I, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him, whoever puts faith in him, oh, it's awesome, shall not perish but have eternal life. Look at Ephesians chapter two, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, faith in Christ. This is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's nothing you can stir up within yourself and be good enough for, not by works, so that no one can boast. Two-sided coin. One side is faith. The other side is repentance. Confession of your sins. Repentance. Changing. Acts chapter uh, 2 verse 38 again. What must we do to be saved? Repent and be water baptized. Repent, repent, repent. This was the message of the New Testament. This is our message. This must be our message of a Jesus-centered, spirit-filled church. It must be what we share. It's the most loving thing we could say to anyone is you put your faith in Christ, but you've also got to repent of your sins. And as believers, we continue to live in that state of repentance. So here's the concern. Have you changed your mind about sin? Have you genuinely repented? Because here's what the tendency is. The tendency is, is just to add Jesus to everything else. And, and yeah, don't wait to get your life all cleaned up before you add Jesus. And you invite him. But Jesus doesn't want to just be added. 
He comes in and he wants to revolutionize your life. He wants to come and change the way you think. It's called the renewing of your mind. There's a prophetic word that came forward last Sunday, was shared with us. And that, that was the idea, is the, the, the whole idea of renewing my mind, renewing my mind, renewing my mind. Some of you, you have, you have that sin that has, you've so labored with over and over and over. And Scott, how can I get victory over that? How can I, I don't want to do this. Well, let me just tell you, one, one of, the, one of the, the, the best ways you're gonna do this is to say no and keep saying no. <laughs> Consistently say, no, I'm not gonna do that. No, I'm not gonna do that. Let that even renew your mind. You say, God, renew my mind. Every time I'm tempted to go there, every time, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not even gonna think on that. I'm not even gonna contemplate that. And I'm gonna allow God to renew my mind. When, I, when I'm doing one of these things, it's not that I'm crazy. I'm just like, I'm thinking like the brain, the, my thoughts are going around in my brain. I'm, I'm not a brain surgeon, but here's the deal. They, they, they're, they're making a pathway. It's a new pathway. He's renewing my mind, the way I'm thinking about these things. I'm changing my mind. I'm repenting. I'm not just gonna continue to go on. I'm gonna say, God, help me. Forgive me. I repent. Huh? What does this look like? Let me finish with this. How do I respond? This is where we get to Psalm chapter 51. Would you turn there with me if you're not there? Psalm chapter 51. This is um, one of the sins in the Bible that might be the most popular. Top 10 list of on a sin list. Maybe not the top 10 list you want to be on. But uh, David did what? He, he committed adultery with Bathsheba, right? And then he allowed her husband Uriah to, to be on the, uh, in a place uh, in the battle to where pretty much he was gonna get killed. He was gonna die. And so in essence, David committed adultery and, and murdered. And he's at the lowest of the low. So how's he gonna respond? Can I encourage you, um, even to this day, when there's something that I feel convicted about, I know the Lord's convicted me on, I, I usually turn right to Psalm 51 and I just pray through this. So let me just lead you through this. You say, Scott, I feel conviction of the Holy Spirit. I know that I need to repent of some things. Give me a framework. How do I process through this? David recorded it for us. God recorded it for us through David's thoughts and words in Psalm 51, verse one. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. The first fruit of authentic repentance is the recognition of our need for mercy. David doesn't ask for justice. He knows that if God were to deal with him according to justice, he would be immediately destroyed. He says, have mercy. I know that I have sinned. I'm not going to just kind of keep going and trust God's going to work it all. No, I'm stopping. It's a hard stop. I know I've done something wrong here. And I'm going to confront, by the way, R.C. Sproul, I've used his name already in this message, but he wrote a, mess, uh, excuse me, a book called What is Repentance? And in fact, if you get it on Amazon Kindle, it's free if you go on there or whatever. But I'm, I'm, I'm using some of his commentary on Psalm 51 on, on what, what I'm getting ready to teach you right now. But the, the idea in, in Psalm 51.1 is that David says, I, I understand, I've got this, I, I did this. Who did it? He did it. And I shouldn't do it again. Verse 2. Psalm 51.2, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. 
When David pleads with God to blot out his sin, his transgressions, he's asking God to remove that stain from his spirit to cover his unrighteousness, to cleanse him from the sin that is now a permanent part of his life. Listen, the idea of forgiveness and cleansing are related. In fact, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, look at this. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and forgive us our sins and purify us. Forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Do you know this is what God wants to do? He doesn't want to just step in and say, okay, you're forgiven, but now I want to purify you. I want to wash you. I want to cleanse you. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse three of chapter 51. For I know my transgressions and my sin. It's always before me. In a spirit of repentance, we go before God. We confess our sins, asking for that pardon, but also the strength to refrain from ever doing again. Repentance is changing our mind on it, going towards God. But it's, it's God, I don't want to ever do that again. I don't want to be a part of that again. I know I'm guilty. There's, there's no minimization of the guilt of my life. Sin. What is sin? I was just reading this morning a, another commentary from George Wood, Psalm 51. This is what he says. Sin is saying, just listen, listen. I wish I had this on the screen, but I don't. I'm going to take matters in my own hands. That's what sin is. What is sin? This is what he said. I thought this was interesting. Sin is when we take matters into our own hands. God's not looking out for me. I have unmet needs, and I don't care if God puts it off limits. I need it anyway. Am I correct in saying that we're pretty good at rationalizing our sin? Are we? And we're pretty good at saying, well, if they didn't do that, then I wouldn't do this. But in the text... By the power of the Holy Spirit, David's brought to the point where he's honest before God. He admits his guilt, realizing that his sin is ever-present. It's always, he can't get rid of it, and it just kind of haunts him. So he's saying, God, my sin's always before me. Please cleanse me. Verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you're proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Is, I mean, I think it's a half-truth there. I'm not saying he's lying. I think the, the correct word might be hyperbole because he sinned against Bathsheba, right? He saw Bathsheba without her Sheba on <laughs> and said, I need that and had a relationship with her, committed adultery, ended up murdering, in a sense, her husband. The prophet Nathan, praise God for the prophet who came and confronted him, loved him enough to say, listen, this is, it's, 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 it's spectacular, um, just to, to see how God orchestrated this. And you can read about it in the Old Testament. Um, but but what, 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 I, what, what we need to see is this. Um, he, he did sin against Bathsheba. He did sin against Uriah, Uriah's family and all the friends. But ultimately, this was the one that he's really talking about. I've sinned against you, God. Here's the word, fear of God. Oh God, Give me a greater fear of you, a holy fear, a righteous fear. Not a, boy, God's going to strike me dead at any moment now, but a healthy, God, give us a healthy fear of you. So that even that time when, when we're tempted to go there, tempted to sin, how do we respond? I, I can't do that because I'm not going to sin against my God. 
David understands that sin ultimately is an offense against God because God is the only perfect being in the universe. He then makes a statement in the second part of that, so that you are proved right when you speak and justify, when you judge. Oh, you're justified, God. I am guilty. And anything you might, in a way that you might judge me, it's justified. Look at verse five. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Can I say something to um, every parent whose kids are in your house right now? I'm going to say something to you that you already know. I'm going to remind you, though, your kid's a sinner. Oh, you might think they're a perfect little cherub. (laughs) But when they grow up and they start pinching their siblings and kicking and throwing tantrums, and you realize, no, there's a sin nature inside of them. As long as your kids are in your house, can I encourage you, parents, do everything you can to point them to forgiveness, point them to Christ, point them to faith and repentance. Faith and repentance, faith in Christ and repentance and point them to what God's best is for them. If they rebel against that and they don't want that, that's on them. But as a parent, that's our role. And even as they get out of our house and maybe they start making decisions that just grieve your heart and you're painful. And then, and then you just allow the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you in that situation. And you, you know this, there's no place they can go that God's not there. So you pray. And you pray and you pray and you pray and you keep praying. And, and there's no guarantee, but we know this, is that our job as parents is this, is to point them to faith, point them to Christ. Now, even as I say that, I just, I just want to say, um, because I know there's parents in this room that maybe you came to Christ later on in life. You're like, man, I, I didn't do so well at that. I, I'm, I wish I would. Listen, it's never too late for God. You see, they stuck him in a tomb and they thought they were done with him. But three days later, what happened? The stone was rolled away and Jesus came back alive. That same resurrection power is available to you today as you pray and as you believe. So let's have faith. Let's believe for the supernatural to happen in your kids, in your son, in your daughter. And let's trust God to bring salvation to their life. But... Against you and you only have I sinned. Uh, Sorry, surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time I was conceived. Surely you desire truth in the inner part. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Verse seven, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. We can hear the utter helplessness, helplessness in David's voice. He's like, God, wait a minute. Before I continue the dialogue, I have to clean my hands. I have to get washed up. No, I need you to cleanse me, God. I need you to wash me. Through the prophet Isaiah later on, it was Isaiah chapter one, verse 18 that I meant to share with you during communion. My bad, sorry, fellas. Come now, let us reason together. Can you throw that? Is, that, is that up on there? Maybe it's not. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. They are red like crimson. They shall become like wool. This is, the, this is the thought, is God, cleanse me, wash me. I like to think of, when I'm praying, I know that you might think this is weird. Let me just let you in on a little weirdness about when I pray. I, I try to regularly 
go through, God, you know, forgive me. Um, uh, uh, Holy Spirit, reveal to me, is there any sin, anything I need to repent of? And I think of a whiteboard with some black writing on it. And then when you take the eraser and it takes all that and and the the board then is white again. I mean, that's what I envision every time I pray. Oh God, cleanse me, wash me, um, uh, take my sin far from me. Psalm 51.8, let me hear joy and gladness. Let, let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Let the bones you have crushed, let the bones you have crushed. God, you've crushed me. You, my bones are broken. It wasn't Satan. It wasn't the prophet Nathan that broke my bones, but you broke my bones when you convicted me of my sin. So I stand before you as a broken man. The only way I can go on is if you heal me and return this joy and gladness to my heart. Psalm 51.9, look at it. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit with me. The only way to have a clean heart is by a work of divine recreation. Being born again. (sighs) Just keep getting, I know I'm laying it on pretty heavy today, but can I just remind you, He's, a, he's, a, he's an almighty God. He's an all-powerful God. Whatever it is you're struggling with today, he can forgive you. He can set you free. Don't let the enemy fool you into thinking that you are bound by this sin and you will never be delivered or set free from it. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Psalm 51.11, don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. David's like, I don't, I don't take, I, don't, I, I, I want to be in communion with me. I just want to be with you. I just want to be with you. We sang it today. One of the most scary verses in the Bible to me is Samson in, in Judges chapter 16, verse 20. And then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. Delilah, had, she had cut his hair. That's where his strength was. You have to read it. But he woke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before. I'm going to shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. See, that's my concern for us is that we could be so busy just doing life and, oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to church mostly. I'm trying to do my best. I'm following God. And we got all this crud in our lives. We're just turning a blind eye to it. Instead of stopping, repenting, dealing with it, we just keep going. And that we could reach a point where we don't even realize it. But God's spirit is far from us. He can't bless sin, willful, regular, over and over, sin. He, God can't bless that kind of a life. Keep moving. Psalm 51, verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will te- teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. God, I, I don't, I don't want to be one who comes across as got it all, my ducks in a row, that I'm perfect. No, I, I need others to see that um, I was in humility. I'm just a sinner saved by Jesus Christ, and now I'm a saint, um, only because of what Jesus Christ did for me. Verse 15, O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it to you. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. If there were things that I could do to try to get you to, to, li- to, 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 to be in right relationship with you again, I would do those things. But that's... It's not where the sacrifices of God are really a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God. You will not despise. 
Here's, here's where we find this kind of this prophetic peace. David is saying that if he could atone for his own sins, he would. But as it is, the only hope is that God would accept his repentance and have mercy on his soul. The Bible tells us explicitly and shows us implicitly that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. In fact, in Matthew 5, 4, it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The verse is not simply about grieving the loss of a loved one, but also the grief that we experience when convicted of sin. Jesus assures us that when we grieve over our sin, God, by his Holy Spirit, will comfort us. Let me ask you something. If we do a spiritual inventory today, where are you at? Could you just close your eyes with me, worship team, would you come? If you did a spiritual inventory today and laid everything bare before the Lord, would there be any area that you've been, you've been putting aside? You, your, your goal is to follow Christ. You want to do everything you can to be like Christ and to allow him to transform your life from the inside out. And none of us are ever going to be perfect in this room. Don't hear that I've got to be perfect. The only perfect one is Jesus Christ. But your desire is to be like Christ and to go after the things of God and you're struggling. What are you overlooking today? Why would God have put this so strongly on my heart to preach on this Sunday when he knew you were going to be here? Was there a reason for that? Is there something going on in your life that you need to repent of, that you need to come back to God. You're like, I, I, maybe, maybe you're just saying, it's, it's been so long since I could even just sense God's presence. Even as we're in a service and people are singing and worshiping, you're like, man, I just, I feel like I'm like on the outside looking in. Or maybe you used to have powerful times of prayer with God. And you used to turn on worship music. And now not so much. You used to drive in your car. And you'd be like, whoa, God, you're here. This is awesome. And I'm not saying this is the only reason. But maybe part of the reason why it's been so long since you've sensed his presence or really felt God was near. Maybe part of it is just because there's unconfessed sin in your life. And God loves you enough to confront you with that. And he wants to set you free. And you're like, David, don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. I don't want you to get to the point where Samson was, where he didn't even realize the presence of God was gone. He didn't even know the Lord had left him. This is my concern, is that some of us are so caught up in ourselves and making excuses or diminishing sin that we don't even realize the Lord has left us. The Holy Spirit is taken. So God, I just pray right now, would you just come and move in this place? Holy Spirit, come and convict all across this room. Would you come and convict? God, unbelievers and believers alike, God, 
We've already prayed for those to be saved early on when we did communion. So God, I'm just gonna focus right now on believers. I, just, I pray that you give us the guts to lay it all out there before you and allow you to convict us of, of anything that's in our lives that we would hear. We have ears to hear what it is you're saying and we would respond. Let's just, just for a few moments right now, can we just pray just between you and the Lord? If you'd like to come to the altars, you're welcome to do that. If you'd like to kneel in your chair, uh, whatever it is, but if we could just, this is a holy moment for so many of us here. And I believe it's just a start. This probably won't be the last message I'm gonna preach on this subject. But it's a start right now. Can you just lay your life, say, God, I lay my life out before you. 